Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad that you are joining me today. This is our Sunburnt series where we talk a little bit about anything and everything. And I'm uh, always glad to get a chance to talk to Dr. Ian Paul whenever he makes himself available. And although it's the afternoons for us, it's the evening for him. He is over in the UK. You can learn more about him. Just Google his name, Dr. Ian Paul. He's got an amazing blog. Uh, If you want to get technical, it's Sefizo.com, P-S-E-P-H-I-Z-O.com. I think I pronounced that right. Ian, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting better at it, aren't I? You are. Yeah, it's impressive. I'm yeah. really impressed. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I thought it'd be really fun uh, to talk about the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. I know that you uh, and James on your video series has been working mm-hmm. on that, and I, I found it fascinating. I go on and I watch, and I love it, and I would love for us to have that uh, similar conversation today. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we, we've really, really enjoyed it. And uh, there's so many there's so many fascinating things to notice about the parables, about the way that Matthew gathers them together. Um, uh, and and some of them are quite extended. Some of them are very, very short. Like just, you know, the shortest one is just a single sentence. And yet they're absolutely packed full of meaning and and some amazing implications for you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So we we've had a we've had a great time exploring them. Yeah. And Matthew talks about the truths about the kingdom in really in three pairs of parables, the the seed and the sower, uh the mustard seed, and then the the hidden treasure. And well that yeah. before, wouldn't it? The pearl of great price. Yeah. And also uh, one of the I mean, there's lots of really interesting things to say about uh, this whole section of Matthew's gospel. I mean, I guess many people are familiar with the fact that um, we we know that the gospels are a a kind of a bit of an artifice in one one way, in the sense that um, we might sit down and think, oh, they're just they're just sitting down and writing all the things that Jesus did and said. But actually, we can see, particularly here in in this gospel, Matthew is actually organized very carefully the things that Jesus has taught and the things that he's done. And, and, and I guess I guess your listeners will be familiar with the idea that Matthew's organized Jesus' teaching into five blocks. So we have in chapters five to seven what um, we call commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Then in chapter 10, we have a whole section of teaching about mission as Jesus sends out the disciples. Then here in chapter 13, so the middle section of teaching, Matthew's collected together uh, the, these parables of the kingdom and then uh, chapter 18, we get what's, what's sometimes called the ecclesiastical teaching about life in the community. And then chapters 24, 25 about the, the end, about, about the end of the world and, and, and future hope. So we're kind of in the middle section here. And, and a couple of really think, interesting things to observe. Uh, one is that we, we know this is all about discipleship because actually, if you just look back before the end of the previous um, passage, in the previous chapter, uh jesus is, is sitting teaching in a house and his mother and brothers and sisters come along and and they say hey he's gone mad we need to rescue him and but they can't get to him because of the crowd so the mm-hmm. crowd say hey your mother and your brother and your sisters are here and jesus says here who are my mothers my brother my sister these people here the disciples those who do the will of god so that kind of introduces us to this and matthew makes the connection he goes that same day 
And when you see little phrases like that, you have to pay attention because Matthew's telling us something. He's saying, look, Jesus has just been talking about who a disciple is. And now we get these parables of the kingdom. So this is telling us what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be someone who's living the kingdom life? Uh, and that leads into this this collection of sayings. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the other fascinating thing about them is that Matthew includes the first few are also in Mark and Luke. The little little short parable, one sentence parable of the leavens in, in Luke. But actually, there's quite a lot of stuff here, which is only in Matthew. So, again, it's a little reminder to us that all the gospel writers are being selective. They're not telling us everything that Jesus just taught, but they're drawing out the things that they think are, are most important. So I guess that's a good reason to kind of sit up and take notice. Yeah. Dr. Ian Paul is my guest. Uh, Ian, do you want to do, should we start with the parable of the wheat and the tares? Uh, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's really fascinating about the wheat and the tares, that's halfway through this, is that this is one of the ones which is unique to uh, Matthew. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been really fascinated by by this. And again, some really interesting things about it. The, 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 the parable that everyone knows is the parable of the sower and the soils, which, which Matthew opens the chapter with. And actually, Mark uses this as a parable about parables. And this is it just he just gives us the one parable and says this is the way Jesus taught. And um, what's really fascinating is that uh, Jesus teaches these parables to the outsiders. But then the disciples take him aside and say, hey, what's this all about? So we see this in the parable of the soils and the sower. And we also see it in this parable of uh, the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares. Mm -hmm. And 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 again, there's lots of nice little details here. So um, in verse 36 of Matthew, he left the crowds and he went into the house. Well, that must be his own house. So that we know they're in Capernaum by, by Lake Galilee. And the disciples come to him and say, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And there's something really intriguing about Jesus's approach to, to teaching. So I find it really fascinating that those on the outside, the crowds, they get taught in these kind of engaging but tantalizing stories where you're never quite sure exactly what they mean. I mean, if you think about it, he's, he's, he's teaching to people who know all about sowing seeds and about the danger of having an enemy come and sow weeds in your field. And, and, and they might say, well, he's just telling us good farming practice. But of course, actually, he's dangling something before them. And the question is, you know, are they going to be interested? Are they going to be intrigued? Are they going to ask more questions? And then and then those on the inside, the disciples, he actually tells them what they're really all about. So and I I, I think that's really interesting in terms of, you know, the way we, we talk about our life of discipleship and about being followers of Jesus. And, and I guess, you know, for many of us, we feel a pressure to sort of like dump everything on people and say, well, this is the whole story. This is this is what it's about. Whereas it's really interesting and that can really put people on the spot and that can that can force them into position. It's really interesting that Jesus Jesus actually tests people out and says, you know, do you do you want to know more? There's something going on here. Are you intrigued? Are you interested? Hmm. Uh, and if they are, he'll, he'll respond. Boy, Ian, I love his approach. I mean, ask them, mm. you know, give, give them some things to think about and, and then try to draw them into more conversation. Mm. Mm. There's, there's a lot to learn mm. right there. Yeah, there is. And, and the way Jesus teaches, I mean, <laughs> the amazing thing is, you know, we now are so used to these parables and, uh, and, you know, we kind of say, oh, you know, these are great things to do with kids in the Sunday, Sunday, kids, Sunday school, you know, or whatever you do in church, because you can, you can draw a picture of a sower or you can plant a seed. You can see what happens. And we kind of think this is really easy, accessible stuff, but it's fascinating that the disciples, they hear Jesus teaches and they go, Jesus, what's going on? We don't understand this. <laughs> you know, this was, 
This is really revolutionary. Later on in the gospel, in Matthew 24, when he says, you know, the moon's going to be turned to blood and the sun's going to be darkened. Just, we go, good gracious, what's going on here? We've got no idea what we're talking about, Jesus. And, and, and the disciples just go, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we understand that. So it's just a reminder as well that, you know, we're in a different world from them. Um, and, and it really is amazing that this is Jesus' distinctive way of teaching. You know, the Gospels characterize Jesus as deliberately teaching in this parable, in these parables, in, in these vivid stories and one of the amazing things about it is that is that they are so concrete this is a great lesson for anyone who's a preacher or teacher which is you know use a really vivid concrete example and people remember it you know everyone remembers the parable of the soils and they remember the you know the first seed that fell on the path and the birds took it away and this next seed fell on the rocky ground and it grew up with them withered and the next sort of seed grew amongst the weeds and then they were strangled and only the last of the four um grew and produced fruit and and again, just notice how how clever Jesus is as a teacher. It's so memorable. It's so clearly structured. And it's so, it's progress from each one. You know, there's a next stage of growth, next stage of growth, next stage of growth. So he teaches in this really gripping and engaging way. So there's a there's a lesson for every every teacher and uh, preacher there. Mm-hmm. And is uh, the reason for teaching in parables just because the 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 pictures, the images are just so graphic and people can remember them. I think that's part of it, but we're actually given a a, a, a difficult um, explanation. You know, in the middle of the parable of the the, the soils, between the the Jesus teaching and, and the explanation being given, um, there's a Jesus quotes from Isaiah says, "You will hear, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You'll indeed see, but never perceive. For this this people's hearts has grown dull." So that lines up with the idea that that the teaching Jesus is offering is is tantalizing. But also it's about something unexpected. It's about the, the kingdom of God, the God's reign, finally, the hopeful reign coming in their midst, but actually not being quite what they expect. God mm-hmm. is God is doing a new thing here, and it's a surprising thing. And the question is, are, are the people actually going to open their hearts and minds? Are they going to receive this thing that God is doing in Jesus? Or, or are they going to continue to turn away? So I guess it's all wrapped up with that issue around, you know, God's people. Will they respond? Will they hear? Well, God teaches, will they respond to the surprising uh, new thing that God is doing in Jesus? And I guess that's a, that's a continues to be a question for all of us. But, yeah. You know, as we continue on our path, are we, are we open to the new thing God is doing? That's a great question. Dr. Ian Paul's my guest, and we're talking about the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. Uh, Ian, I'd love to spend some time uh, going through the parable of the sower and the soils. Hmm. Okay. Uh, when we when we look at the four different soils, I know that people yeah. have, have thought the only person that's really saved is the last person because they're uh, spiritually grounded and productive. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it seems that in the second soil that there was a, um, a germination, there was life. Although the sun came and scorched yeah. it, there was at yeah. one point life. Uh, yeah. Was that person born again? What about soil three? That's a great question. And there's a sense in which I kind of want to dodge it and say, well, that's not a question that the parable is asking okay it's exploring um so i mean that's a that's a good question to ask what what i find fascinating is two things here one is that um the parables are teaching a particular point and of course in this one we've actually got you know a very detailed explanation um and but it's not going to teach us everything and one of the things that's fascinating about this collection here is that the parable of the soils is using this image of sowing and growth and the seed to teach us one thing when we come later on to the parable of the, the wheat and the tares, it's teaching us something different, and it seems to have a different emphasis. Um, 
And we've got to be careful how we interpret the parable. We can't literalize it. We can't sort of take every detail and say, well, that's telling us the one thing. Because the, re the reason I say that is because soils don't choose what they're like. You know, the sower scatters broadcast the seed. By the way, isn't it fascinating that here, this sower who's sowing the word of the kingdom, Jesus tells us, this sower scatters it liberally. So this, again, this is really interesting for us, isn't it? That the, uh, We see this working out in Acts chapter 11 when, when the believers go uh, scattered from Jerusalem and they go up to Antioch and they, they just, you know, by accident, they just tell the news of the gospel to everybody. I mean, they weren't supposed to. <laughs> they, were, they were supposed to tell mm -hmm. only Jews about this Jewish Messiah. But, you know, they, they, they're actually living out this, this parable. They're broadcasting, literally. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, we get, we're broadcasting on the radio. This is where we get the word from. It's broadcasting. It's casting the seed abroad. And, and it's fascinating here that, that, that the sower, Jesus, or the messengers that Jesus sends, they're very liberal in what they sow. Um, but, but soils don't choose what they're like. And yet the parable is all about saying, well, how are you going to respond? You know, Jesus finishes with this, this saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So in other words, you've got to make your mind up. Which kind of, which kind of soil are you? So I don't think Jesus is answering the question what do I have to do to be saved, as it were? Which of these, which of these categories mm -hmm. are, are born again or not? Because as you say, there is life that comes. I think what he's saying is, look, there's a danger here. To, if you're going to receive the word of the kingdom, it's not just about saying yes. It's about saying yes, and it's about persisting through to the end. Now, it seems to me that's a really common theme across the New Testament. I mean, look at Paul's discussion with the Corinthians in his Corinthian correspondence. He says, you know, okay, you started well, but but don't don't fall by the wayside uh you know you've got to persist and, and in fact um in luke's version luke's parallel he adds a, a very interesting word um when he talks about the one the, the grain that bears fruit he says uh some 30 some 60 some 100 fold with patient endurance and it seems to me the real lesson here is to say okay you've got to receive the word but then you've actually got to allow the word to grow in you and to put roots deep down in you. Then you've got to make sure that the other cares of life, as you go on, don't strangle that mm -hmm. good thing that God is doing. And I don't know about you, but I find as as <laughs> as I get older in life as a disciple, it's harder to be radical. It's harder to be wholehearted and committed because, you know, when I was. I know I was 21, 22, and I said to God, well, I'll do whatever you want me to. That's fine. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids to look after. I didn't have all the other stuff. I, I could I could give away all my money. I, when I worked in business, I gave away 40% of my income. Uh, and I didn't worry about you know providing for myself because I didn't have any of those cares. Mm -hmm. So so I guess as we go through life, there's a question there. You know, how how are we actually allowing the the life of the kingdom to continue to grow in us and not allow it to be strangled? Yeah. Um but actually, at the end, there's a promise, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, the word is fruitful. Yeah, yeah. And and, and it'll grow, and it'll it it will produce fruit. Yeah. So God, you know, God is faithful. Let me take so I think that, I don't know if you felt I've dodged the question. No, you didn't. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna reload it. I think after a short break, Dr. Ian Paul is my guest. This is the Sunburnt series. We're talking about uh, the parables of Matthew 13. We'll be right back.
Happy middle of the week, and it is time for Sunburnt Series, which we I, I always enjoy doing in the summer. I like to talk to my friends and guests and find out what's uh, their uh, interest and what they've been studying and reading and uh, contemplating. And Dr. Ian Paul is my guest. He's been contemplating the parables in Matthew 13, and you can head over to his website, sefitzo.com, P-S-E-P-H-I-Z-O.com. You can see him discuss with his friend James an amazing video series. I go there often, and I know you'll enjoy it. So let me just ask this, uh, Ian, before the break, we were talking about the four different types of soils, and it seems that in a lot of churches today, you're going to find a lot of people in the Soil 2 and Soil 3 camp. They might have had a beginning relationship, but they didn't do much with it. And then there's other people that started uh, with a lot of enthusiasm, and, and then all of a sudden, yeah. work and family and career and everything else got in the way and kind of choked out some of their passion. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I it's interesting that um, <laughs> we, you know, have this, we have this expression, don't we? What I, I mean, you might have a slightly different version, but we either say, oh, you're preaching to the choir, or, mm-hmm. I or, or you're preaching, you're, or you're preaching to the converted. Um, and, and that, those are kind of sayings which, which say, hey, look, you don't need to tell us this. We already know it. <laughs> and uh, or, or, you know, you don't need to explain the basics to us. We, we're on your side, as it were. We want to we want to move on now. Now, I suppose in my own preaching and teaching, I, I've, I've, I've got a convic- conviction around that, which is to say, actually, do you know what? It's the converted who still need to hear the gospel. <laughs> so so when i'm preaching i will always make sure that i am i'm preaching the gospel now there's two sides of that one is that you you, you know you never know who's come in to join the congregations there you, you don't know if they're new or or they're exploring faith or so on so one of the, one of the things i make sure i do as a discipline is always however whatever sophisticated theological idea we're kind of engaging with whatever difficult part of scripture we're engaging with always find a way of expressing you know the heart of the gospel which is that that you know, God made us and loves us. We, we, we've gone wrong. We've turned aside. But because in his love, God continues to reach out to us. He's done what what he needs to do to deal with our sin, to call us back and to give us the gift of his spirit so that we can we can be empowered to live a new life. So so I always want to include a kind of straightforward gospel explanation in, in whatever, whoever I'm preaching to. Mm-hmm. But I think the other, the other part of that for me is to say that you can never get beyond the excitement of what the gospel is all about so so i i hope that i i always preach with a passion to say look i mean you know if i was preaching on these things i just preached last sunday on on um how how, I, how god has spoken to me how i hear god and so I, I i did a bit of stuff from scripture expanding scripture but i also reflect on my own experience there but, but but i hope that actually getting back to the heart of what god has done for us no matter where we are in our journey of faith actually our passion can be reignited by that as we recognize the amazing implications. And, and I guess in these parables, one of the things that I've been really gripped by over the last few weeks as, as thinking about it particularly is the way that the way that these parables transform are, are the way we see the world. So, I mean, particularly the, the, there's the second long parable in this collection is about the, the parable of the, the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares, as, 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 as it's been generally known. Um, and this was a this was something that was real in Jesus's day. And in fact, it, it still is a, a bit of an issue. We, we live in a different time now where we've got pesticides and uh, and, you know, you look out on a, on, a, on a wheat field today and it's just wheat. There's nothing else there. Well, in Jesus's day, you wouldn't have done that. There were no if you if you want to get rid of the weeds, you would have to do it by hand one by one. There were no no weed killer treatments. 
the environment was very, very mixed. Um, and so you'd look on a field of wheat and it would have all sorts of things. It would have poppies and other flowers. It would have other other things in. And actually, it, it would it would be a real task to have to sort out the one from the other. Now, what I find really fascinating is Jesus is now saying to us, look, this is this is the way to look at the world. The world is a very, very mixed field. And you're going to be you know, jostling along with people who are very, very different from you. This is what being a disciple is about. And, and in his interpretation, it's, in, it's, it's particularly vivid. He kind of pushes this whole idea of the, uh, the field and, the, uh, and what's growing in the field. He pushes it a whole stage further so that we're, we're told that uh, in his explanation. We're told that the, the, the field is the world, the good seed, the, the, the wheat that's growing are the sons of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom. Uh, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemies sow them, sow, sow them is, the, is the devil. So it reminds us that we've had little hints of it in the previous um, parable, but it reminds us that the, the world is a, is a real battleground. You know, God is doing his work on the one hand, but the enemy is also doing his work. And, and we're going to be, as disciples of Jesus, we're going to be cheek by jowl with people who are very different from us. Mm-hmm. And yet judgment judgment is going to be postponed but judgment is certain so you know we see injustice in the world we see things being done wrong we see things that frustrate god's purposes and 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 you know that that can make us mad but actually we can trust god that judgment will come and and that his judgment will be just so just actually beginning to look at the world around you in that way just as it seems to me it's transformative and and it's it's a it's a transformation that we need to just you know inhabit again and again as we as we hear what Jesus says to us. Yeah, and Ian, if we're going to be salt and light in the world, we need to be among uh, everyone in the world, and there's going to be uh, evil all around Absolutely. us. Yep. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, that image of salt is, is a very similar one in the sense that, you know, the salt is only effective when it's in mixed amongst, you know, the food that it needs to preserve and to give flavor to and so on. So, it's a, yeah, it's another dimension to this. But it's a, it's just, again, an incredibly vivid way of of transforming our vision of who we are and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, after the break, Ian, uh, we're going to take in a little bit. I want to continue uh, to talk about uh, the mustard seed and the parable of, of leaven and flour and yep. also the, the parable of the treasure in the field. Yeah, and the, which is amazing. Yeah, the parable of the pearl of great price. Um, I've got a particular reason for really loving the parable of the pearl of great price. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. And, <laughs> and I want to hear a little bit from last Sunday uh, is teaching on how you hear from God. Mm, okay. So you've got a lot, a lot going on in the next half hour. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm I, I'm not saying I feel it. sorry for you, but I, you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, so we'll take a break and we come back uh, lots more with Dr. Ian Paul. I do recommend going and checking out his website. He was, uh, has multiple winners of blogger of the year. You can learn about him, uh, just by Googling his name, Dr. Ian Paul, but the official website is sefitzo.com. That's P-S-E-P-H-I-Z-O.com. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Dr. Ian Paul. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. 
Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have Dr. Ian Paul as my guest today. This is our Sunburnt series where we talk a little bit about anything and everything. And you need to learn more about uh, Dr. Ian Paul. His resume is uh, long. And if he had a business card, it might be like, I don't know, 14 inches long just to get everything on it. Because he's a theologian and an author and a speaker and an academic consultant. He's an adjunct professor. Um, And then a very interesting business background before you uh, got into the ministry you worked yeah. for um, Mars Chocolatier. I did, Mars Confectionery in Slough. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, we, are, we used to make bounty. Well, again, you got you got different names for some of them, but um, Maltesers and Bounty Bars and Galaxy Chocolate. Yeah, so, so yeah. pretty interesting, pretty interesting background. So mm. let's go back to the parables of Matthew thirteen. Mm. Which one would you like to jump into next? Well, uh, I think, um, uh, the, let me just, oh, I just got a text up in front of me here. Um, I mean, there's some really interesting things to say about each of them as they, as they come and, and they, they kind of make a different a number of different points. Um, the, the mustard seed is really fascinating. I and mean, people sometimes debate about, you know, what was, what did Jesus mean about which, which seed was he referring to? It's again, it's just worth remembering that, you know, Jesus is teaching us a lesson here about the kingdom. He isn't actually trying to give us a biology lesson. So <laughs> some people said, well, you know, this is probably um, Brassica Nigra of a black mustard. And it isn't the smallest seed in the whole world, but it was proverbially known as being a, a, a small seed. Um, and it grows into a very, very large plant. Um, so Jesus is making a, a point here about, the kingdom having small beginnings. And again, this is, I, I can see why, whether or not Jesus taught this at the same time he was teaching the parable of the, of the sow and the soil. You can see why Matthew has collected this and put it together because there's a, there's a verbal connection there. And again, very often we, we always want our, our material to be sort of organized in a logical way, but, it, but in the ancient world, people organize things in different ways. And sometimes just a, just a verbal connection, a single word that connects one thing to another is a good reason to put these things together. Again, it's part of a part of it being memorable um this the, I, I find again this is only what two sentences this parable as matthew's recorded it but but absolutely fascinating in that there's there's a, an allusion to daniel 4 in there so i don't know if you've noticed that that when he talks about um it becomes a tree and the birds of the air come and make mm-hmm. nests in his branches that's exactly the language that daniel uses to nebuchadnezzar about the kingdom of babylon so i learned that watching also, your video with james Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah we mentioned. <laughs> so that. I didn't we want did, to yeah. appear smarter than I am. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but but what's again? What's really fascinating here is that you know we've had two thousand years of Christian history. You know we've seen churches grow. We've been through you know Christendom, where certainly medieval Europe was dominated by the Christian faith. And and so in a sense we could say, well, you know, uh, the kingdom of God, the belief in Jesus is, is, is glo- a global movement, and it's it's great, and, it, and it's and it's shaped nations. That's what the the birds of the of the air coming in, in, in the branches symbolizes. Different nations making their home in it. But here's Jesus. He's he's two thousand years ago. He's in a, a backwater on the edge of the empire. He doesn't write a single thing down himself he's got a, a, a ragtag of disciples yeah there are crowds who come to listen but you know in the end they all fall away and, and even his close friends desert him you know as he dies on the cross and yet he is ta- talking about the kingdom of god being a thing which is just going to be this this enormous global movement starting with the tiniest seed so 
it's really striking when you put it in that context. And, you know, I guess that's an encouragement when, you know, certainly here in the UK, we see headlines of, you know, the Church of England is about to disappear and, you know, Christianity is a, a small minority view now. It's an impermanent decline. And hey, hang, hang on, hang on. Whatever's happening with the institutional church, Jesus is really clear that the kingdom is going to grow mm-hmm. and, and it's going to spread and it's going to it's going to change the world. So it's just a fantastic vision uh, uh, and statement of faith about, you know, what God's going to do. So yeah. well, and all of that is just in, in two sentences. Yeah. Ian, what would you say is the practical application for believers today with the parable of the mustard seed? I think it's an invitation to have faith. Okay. It's an invitation to, to be faithful. And I suppose in one sense, it's the complement to, you know, in the parable of the soils, we say, look, look, discipleship is about persistence. It is about making sure you put your roots down. So it is about things we do. And again, one of the fascinating things in these parables is a, there's a shift always between, you know, what do we need to do? What's our responsibility? What's our response on the one hand? And on the other hand, you know, a lot of these parables, the theme is the sovereignty of God. So, I, I I I can't remember, Bill, if you're a gardener at all. I'm not. I know you are. Um, yeah. Okay. So I I find one of the fascinating things. I I I during the summer particularly, I always have a salad for lunch, and I grow the lettuce in the garden. And one of the things that's amazing with lettuce seeds, they're really really small. Different seeds are different sizes. Lettuce seeds are really small. They're really difficult to handle. So you have to go through a particular process of you you sow them, then you have to what's called pricking out, then you have to plant them on, and so on. And, and I'm always amazed. I have these tiny, fine little seeds in my hand. But I know that in six weeks time, that's going to be my lunch. <laughs> so it's a great illustration. You've got it something is. here in your hand. It's a tiny little thing. You could blow it away. But this is going to feed me. Wow. And, and it, it's that kind of vision of faith saying, OK, folks, you know, you're going to have to step up. You know, you're going to put your roots down. You know, it's going to, it's going to de- be demanding on you. But hey, look, this is what God has given you. He's given you this seed and that is going to grow. Uh, it's it's full of life and in the right conditions it's going to sustain you and it's going to feed you and in fact that relates to jesus's own teaching um one of the things that matthew says here uniquely uh in the other the others don't say it like this at the beginning of each parable uh, he says jesus put another parable before them he set another parable before them now this is the language you use of a meal when, when the disciples go out on, on mission jesus says eat whatever is put before you so Jesus is giving us this teaching about the kingdom and saying, this is going to feed you. This is going to sustain you. So be hopeful. The gift that God has given you in kingdom life is one that's going to grow and it's going to, and, and, and God, you know, God will, God will make it happen. So, you know, be a good heart. Mm, I love that. All right, Ian, let's talk about the um, parable of the treasure in the field. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I particularly love this one and the pearl of great price because they, they, they go together really. Um, and, and part of the reason was we we used to tell these to our kids. There was a a really great um, illustrator who produced these. Uh, he did he did lots of commercial illustration, but he also produced these little little Bible books for kids. And he had fantastic pictures of the characters. I remember the one with the the, the pearl trader who finds this pearl a great price. He's got this really fancy coat and a big feather hat, a big a big feather in his hat, and uh, really really graphic. Again, just you know illustrates how vivid these things are. But I, I love well i've got a particular reason for loving the pearl of great price i said i was going to tell you didn't i yeah you did <laughs> and, and 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 the reason is the greek word here in the text for pearl is margaritas and my wife's name is maggie. margaret margaret maggie. Yes. she's maggie that's yeah. right it's my, short for maggie yeah 
So you see, I kind of I, in, in my commentary on Revelation, I put it up front. You know, I dedicate it to her and say, uh -huh. you know, you're, you're my you're my pearl of great price. So. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, the kingdom is an even greater pearl of great price. Um, but again, you know, they're really short parables, but but they're really startling. Um, so here's the thing. You know, we we often think that um, we've become disciples of Jesus because of a decision we've made because we decided we wanted to find out about god or we we were seeking or 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 we made a decision and these two parables turn it upside down they say it's not about you uh the, the man who's in the field again this is where matthew's just sort of connecting things with the theme what's the man doing in a field well he's not looking for treasure he's probably just you know digging a field up to sow sow some seed he's, he's planting a crop or something like that so he he find he finds it by accident and of course there's all sorts of moral moral questionable things here i mean if you if you went and dug somebody else's field and you found treasure in it you probably want to go and tell them but you know the, the point is he's so excited and it's in his joy he stumbled across something now i, I guess this might connect with many of you know the, our, our listeners uh lives here but it connects with my life you know when i was a i was a teenager i was struggling i was at a, a big all-boys all school in london I didn't know I was looking for anything, but I had this, when I look back, I, 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 we had someone who came to stay with us. She met some people at the school she went to. I wanted to go to a, uh, uh, to, to the gym one day. She said, Oh, uh, you know, this group of people I meet, we're going there. Why don't you meet them? They were Christians. Uh, I then discovered about faith through them. Hmm. It was the last time she ever went. It was the first time I went. And, and, and I just, <laughs> it was, I stumbled across this treasure. Mm -hmm. I suddenly discovered through them, you know, the love of God, which transformed them and could transform me. And it, it, it and it answered the questions I didn't even know I was asking about, you know, security and direction in life. So, so I, that's one of the reasons I love this. I love this, this pair of parables. They, it, it's about stumbling upon something by accident without realizing it. But then when you suddenly see what a treasure this is, then uh, you're, you're prepared to sacrifice anything. This is, a, isn't this a fan, fantastic lesson about discipleship? um is it easy to be a disciple of jesus or is it hard and costly well i can't the answer is both because <laughs> because when you realize what a treasure this is that that all of god all that god has done for us in jesus then you don't mind the mm -hmm. cost you don't mind giving things up you don't mind sacrificing stuff because there's a sense in which you know uh, I mean, there's a there's an analogy with a, or the relationship as well. You know, when you meet someone and you love them, you don't mind. When I met Maggie, I didn't mind giving up what I was doing and moving and, you know, whatever, because, you know, you, you've discovered something fantastic. So it's it, it the cost doesn't feel like a cost. And I think, again, this is a, a really important other dimension to discipleship. So in the parable of the soils, OK, things might be challenging and have to make some hard decisions. But, hey, we make those hard decisions because we, we've come across treasure. And when you found treasure, you're just so full of joy, then you, you know, you, you don't mind, you don't mind paying the cost because, because you know, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, in today, I think you can uh, produce pearls through cultivation, but in Jesus's time, they were really rare, weren't they? They were. And costly. Were. And, and there would be dangers to diving and, and hunting yeah. for, for oysters. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, we there are now, Bill, you, you, you wouldn't expect me not to mention the book of Revelation here, because that's one of my other passions. So uh, and of course, pearls occur in the book of Revelation in a couple of prominent places, which illustrate exactly this thing about their value. Uh, one is the um, the woman who's riding the beast in Revelation 17. 
and she's adorned with pearls. And that connects with Roman culture. As you say, in the ancient world, pearls were the thing that were most valued. They were actually more valuable than gold. So, you know, you, you hear stories these days, I don't know if you've seen these, of, of really, really wealthy people doing ridiculous things like gold plating their Lamborghini or, 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 or you go to a really expensive restaurant and you get this dessert, you know, it costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars and you, you get a dessert where you've got real gold that's sprinkled on it and you eat the gold. Hmm. Well, that kind of absurd wealth in, in Rome, in ancient Rome, you did that with pearls. It was pearls that were a sign that you were the we you were wealthy beyond imagining. And actually that the extremely wealthy elite would actually get these pearls and they would dissolve them in vinegar. And then they'd mix that with the wine and drink it just to show that they were so wealthy that they could drink pearls. They could eat, eat pearls. So this was a sign of the wealthiest of the wealthy. But here's the amazing thing. The gates of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, what are they made of? Pearls. Pearls, exactly. <laughs> the most precious thing. And it's almost as if John is saying, hey, you wealthy people, you think you've got big pearls. Look at the size of these. These <laughs> pearls are so big. So you can drive, uh, you know, you can, people can walk through the middle of them. So these, these gates, Ian, are they, are they like uh, metal gates with pearls embedded or... Are they no, just that's all how pearl? people. That's how people. Yeah, that's how people have pictured them. When they talk about going to the pearly gates. No, in Revelation, Revelation twenty one twenty two, the the gates are pearls. <laughs> so the, the image is actually a, a an enormous pearl, and and the hole that's drilled through the middle of a pearl to put it on a thread. That's that's the way we go into the kingdom. Wow. And again, it's another way of saying, look, that the the wealth, the richness, the treasure that God gives us is far greater than, than, the, than the best thing that this world affords. But it doesn't come from your own effort. It doesn't come from exploiting others. It doesn't come from a corrupt system. It comes as the gift of God. And it, it's, it's a free gift to anyone who's prepared to receive it. So in, in Revelation 21, 22, you get this constant refrain on the one hand that you know, the unclean are on, are on the outside and, and no unclean thing can come into the city. But anyone can come if they're willing to receive the invitation, accept the invitation and come and drink from the free gift of the river of the water of life. God's, God's riches to us and God's life that he has for us is unearned. It's undeserved. It's often unsought. It comes as a treasure that we found in a field. And it's worth more than anything. That's why. That's why this guy who's dug, dug dug the field, you know, he sells all that he has and buys the field. Nothing else is in. There's nothing to compare. And the pearl merchant, you know, the pearl merchant knows things that are valuable, and he's discovered something that's worth more than anything else. Mm. Uh, and and that's what the that's what Jesus is telling us. The kingdom the kingdom is about, and what that's what it's like. Mm -hmm. And unlike other gemstones, pearls, from what I know about pearls, which isn't a lot, they're created by the mollusks, the mollusks to address an irritation that's in their flesh. It, it is. I don't know if there's a lesson there for us. But... I don't know if there is or not, but uh, there might be, you know, so that's, uh, that's the beauty that results from the suffering. Maybe that's yeah. how God works on us. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with Dr. Okay. Ian Paul in just a minute.
My guest is Dr. Ian Paul, and it is our Sunburst series. We talk about anything and everything. I'm glad to be chatting with Ian about Matthew 13 and the parables. So, Ian, I know there's probably a little bit more to talk about at the mm. parable of the treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great mm. price. Yeah, and again, these these are, are so vivid and yeah. they're so compressed and so short, but but there's so much so much in them. There's so much you know to learn from them uh, and to reflect on in terms of the gift that that God has given us in the kingdom and and in in all that He's done for us in Jesus. Um, but we we we've two we we've two we've missed out, aren't there? The, uh, well, the parable of the net, uh, parable of the net, and before that, earlier on the the parable of the the woman who took uh, leaven and hid it in the in the flower. Yes. Parable um, 11, yes. Now, one of the things I think we've noticed is that each of these different parables, and you can see again why why Matthew's brought these together, in that they give different insights into different dimensions of, you know, what kingdom life is like, what, is, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So on the one hand, it, it's demanding and it's costly and it requires persistence. On the other hand, it just comes to us as a gift. On the one hand, it's something we might search for. On the other hand, it comes as an unexpected surprise. Um, and, and I think these two, uh, they, they seem to me to, again, to explore two, perhaps not quite opposite, but two two aspects of the, the kingdom of God that are in tension with one another. So um, amazing in Matthew 13, verse 33, this parable, just one little sentence here, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that the woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Um, again, an illustration from everyday life. So you could just hear that and say, okay, well, yeah, people, people make bread. Um, it's a bit of a crazy amount. Um, I think most modern translations translate the measure as, um, uh, the three measures being 60 pounds of flour. Now that's a lot. Mm -hmm. that, that's going to make you a lot of loaves. Um, I, I thought that was just crazy. Um, until I went on holiday to, to Morocco and we went to Marrakesh and, and we discovered that in Marrakesh, everyone makes their own bread, but actually not everyone has their own oven. Uh, this is a traditional way of doing things so that, that you do things communally so that um, the, the, the mother or the grandmother would make the bread. And then she'd score on the surface of the bread a particular mark for their family, which is the origin. If you know, quite often sourdough bread has got scores or marks on it, pattern, a pattern on the top. Um, so they would make their own family mark on it. And then the, the children would run through the city and go to the nearest um, uh, person who has a, a, a baking oven. And all the bread for the community would be baked in this oven. And then when the bread came out, they'd know whose was whose because of the marks on the top. So, you know, just a reminder that, that in other cultures and other times, people live a much more communal life. So maybe it's not so unrealistic that the woman's cooking, making the bread for the whole community um but what is a couple of things really fascinating about this one is that um you wouldn't normally use the word of hiding she she hides the leaven in the bread and again this is a theme that's all the way through which is what we began with actually the fact that the kingdom very often the work of the kingdom is hidden you know it begins with a, a tiny seed that's hidden in this in the soil uh it's it's it jesus teaches in this sort of hidden way the meaning is hidden until it's explained and and the, the secrets of the kingdom are strange to us until we we see the result. And and the fascinating thing about this parable is that the leaven of the kingdom seems to work through the whole flower. And that seems to me to be an image where, again, it comes back to what we talked about earlier about salt and light, that that actually when we're living kingdom lives out there in the world, yes, it, it, it has a direct impact on those who themselves come to faith and, and as we share our faith with others. But that actually there's a there's a role there as well for kingdom life to 
to enrich uh, the life of the whole of society, to transform society, even if not everyone comes to faith. So there's a kind of um, an inclusive dimension to the kingdom in that one. And then in the parable of the net, it seems to me he's saying not quite the opposite, but saying a, a, a quite a different dimension to kingdom life, which is this this image of judgment of the the net thrown into sea and gathering up the fish of every kind. Uh, and and this and and that involving separation. So the fish that are fished out uh, have one destiny, uh, and uh, the other fish are are thrown away, have a different destiny. So there's, on the one hand, with the leaven, there's a there's a the kingdom can touch all sorts of lives, but actually the kingdom is eventually going to involve decision and separation. So you have to decide. You know, are you in or are you out? Are you going to respond to Jesus' invitation or not? Are you going to receive this free gift? and allow your life to be transformed by him or not. And, and there will be consequences to that. Mm -hmm. So the fish, when they're getting hauled in by the net, do they have a choice whether or not they're going to get hauled in by the net or not? I, in this parable, no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now, actually, again, this is an image from the Old Testament. Uh, I, I've, I should have looked it up. I, I think it's in a chapter in Jeremiah, you may know. Well, this is used as a as an image of God's judgment of the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, it's not one that's it, it's a it's a commonplace example, but it's actually one that's got from Scripture, and that's going to be pretty important when we come to the the end of the chapter here and, and the little saying that um, that Matthew includes. Um, so Jesus is is using Old Testament language and imagery, and of course, the idea of of God's people as a field or a vineyard is an Old Testament idea. We find that at the beginning of Isaiah as well. Um, now. In some ways, this image, and this is the central image Jesus uses when he calls the first disciples in the other Gospels. He, you know, when he calls those who are fishermen and says, you know, leave your nets and I will teach you to fish for people, mm -hmm. for the kingdom. And and again, that for us, that we treat that as a kind of nice Sunday school lesson. And we, we turned it into a little chorus. I don't know if you know that. I will make you fishers of men. Do you know that song? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> this is all the ways we learned scripture when I was a kid, you know, oh, so, right. Uh, and uh, it's a nice, it feels like a nice image, but actually it's an image of judgment and of separation uh, and, and of calling people to the costly obedience of receiving this, this free gift he gives us because it's going to make a difference. So that whole language of nets and fishing is, is an image of, of, of judgment ultimately. And, and again, you get this expressed differently in the different gospels. So, you know, in, in, the, in the, the fourth gospel, um, you actually get the offer of life juxtaposed right next to the challenge of judgment so john three sixteen, we all know you know god so loved the world loved god loved the world in this way that he gave his only son uh so that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life and then and then the narrative goes on for the son of man didn't come in the world to judge the world but to save it and yet the judgment has already come because those who don't receive uh that the, the, the invitation are actually going to be facing the judgment, the consequence of their own decision. Uh, and so you, you see that that thread all the way through the Gospels, that on mm. the one hand, the gracious gift of God, but again, the, the, the other side of the coin there, that, that when God, when somebody gives you uh, a wonderful, valuable gift, then you've got to decide whether you're going to receive it or not. Yeah. Uh, it's not your doing, it's, it, it's God's, God's generosity. But God's generosity will always require response. Yeah, amen to that. You know, we just have about a minute left. I'd love to yeah. hear how you hear from God. Yeah, well, I was we were starting a, ser a sermon series in our church about this across the summer, and so I was kicking it off. And um, uh, I just wanted to 
just encourage say to folk look it's amazing that god speaks to us you know this is the god of the whole universe this is the right. god who's sustaining the whirling galaxies on the far side of the universe a million voices cry out to him every moment and yet he speaks to us because god is not like us he's infinite you know i've only got a finite amount of time i can give to people and if i give my time to one person i can't give it to another but god is not like that mm -hmm. he gives us each one of us he gives us time and attention as if we're the only one in the world wow. and god speaks you know the thing that scripture says again and again god speaks god speaks to his people god is a living god who speaks and he's a loving god so he speaks to each of us and so i just you know and when i was preaching on this was just a, i had four s's a nice bit of alliteration he speaks to us through the scriptures he speaks to us through our siblings through our brothers and sisters in christ he speaks to us directly sometimes in the voice of the spirit and he often speaks to us in our situations and circumstances. Mm. And, you know, each of those has been very real for me in my life as I've, I've, I've sought to follow Jesus yeah. and re respond to his invitation. And uh, so, yeah, I just I gave examples of those. And, and, and each one of those has, has just been really transformative for me uh, as I've heard God speaking into my life and, and, and telling me the things that I, I really need to hear about his love and his call and his invitation to me. Wow. Ian, thank you once again for being on the show. I always look forward to having you on, and I, I, uh, I love your teaching and your wisdom and your sense of humor and everything else. <laughs> Great to be with you, Bill. Yeah, thank you so much. Dr. Ian Paul has been my guest. You can go learn more about him by Googling his name. That's probably the easiest. Ian Paul, and also you can go to his website, sefizzo.com, P-S-E-P-H-I-Z-O.com. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.